Broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, via the World Wide Web at www.edamrocksradio.com. It's the Edam Rocks Radio Show. Now, your host, Son Edom. And welcome to another episode of what I like to refer to as From Nonsense to Godsense, as we take a look at some of the issues facing us today, and we look through the lens of a biblical perspective. And joining us is Dan Delzell, a columnist for the Christian Post, and the topic today is standing before God without fault, something that I think should be interesting to, or all of us should be interested in, how can we do that? And uh, Dan, first off, thanks for joining us again today. It's sure good to be with you again today, son. So this topic, standing before God without fault, that's the conversation. And yet, when we look into the scriptures, it says, There is none righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that none of us is without fault. We carry a burden of wrongdoing and imperfection. So how can we, Dan, stand before God without fault? Well, as you say, son, we're all guilty. Um, we've all committed violations, we've all broken God's laws, and the interesting thing in um, the kingdom of God is that a person's son is either completely forgiven of all of their sins, or they have no forgiveness for any of their sins. And, And that's a concept that I think a person has to try to wrap their mind around. Because it's not as though, you know, we're living life and we're, you know, maybe halfway forgiven and we just got to do a little bit more to get completely forgiven. Um, You know, a passage that comes to mind is in Revelation 7, verses 13 and 14, um, really looking here into the the future, uh, the eternal kingdom of Christ in heaven. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is a very important passage, Son, when we think about how can I stand before God without fault, because what it teaches us is that God has a way of covering our sin in such a way that He sees us as faultless. You see, that's the key about standing before God without fault, Son. It's not how you and I see one another. It's not how somebody else sees us. It's not about whether somebody else thinks, you know, we're righteous enough to get into heaven. It's how does God see me? And, and the beautiful thing with the gospel is that when you accept Christ as your Savior, God puts on this robe, as it were, over your soul. It covers your sin. Uh, you become white as snow in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So how do we become without fault, standing before God? We have to have on a white robe. And only God can give us that. You know, it was interesting, son, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they instantly just felt, you know, this shame, this guilt. And what did they do? They tried to cover themselves, you know, because their their shamefulness, their spiritual nakedness um, was was the real thing they were trying to cover. And even their physical nakedness was now... Um, something that they were, you know, obviously um, looking at differently than before they sinned. So they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and those fig leaves, son, represent man's religion. Man does the same thing today all over the world. He knows that he needs to somehow get right with God, so what does he do? Many times he jumps through religious hoops. He tries to put on the fig leaves of religion. The problem with the fig leaves of religion, son, is that they do not cover a person in the way that God will then look at you as faultless. You need the blood of the Lamb. 
These in white robes, who are they? These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And I'm sure we'll be talking even more uh, in our visit today just how that really happens. You know, how does that person receive that that clean slate uh, to stand before God without fault? You know, it's amazing because when we talk, you always keep bringing up the fact that it's something that God does to us. It's how God looks at us. It's what Jesus died on the cross for us. And yet so many times in our in our walk and in the church and things like that, we like to look at what we've done, what we need to do, what we like we want to control it, but yet in reality, we can't control anything. It's just completely up to God. That, that's right, son. Um, we, by nature, assume that if we do, you know, maybe a little more good than, than bad, that we can make up for our transgressions. We can kind of have a little bit more on the, the right side of the ledger, and God's going to kind of, you know, look at that and say, well, you know, you, you tried hard, and, and uh, oh, look, you even did some good, you know, you had some good church attendance uh, records here. You, you, you Oh, my, you, you served at the homeless shelter. Um, oh, sure, you got these sins over here, but boy, you are a good person. And, um, you know, I, I always think about the end of that movie, Son, Meet Joe Black, where uh, Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt are standing there. And of course, you know, Brad Pitt is this angel who's come, you know, to, to bring at Anthony Hopkins from this life to the next life. And they're standing on the hill at Anthony Hopkins' retirement party and fireworks going off and everything. And before they walk over the uh, the little mound of their son, uh, off into what what you know they're they're saying is going to kind of be his eternal um, sunset, as it were. Um, Anthony Hopkins he has a question uh, of Brad Pitt, you know, kind of the angel figure. He says, "Now he says, do I need to be worried about anything?" And of course, everybody knows what he means by that because you know this uncertainty. I mean, everybody, whether they believe it or not kind of have this sense, hey, maybe there is a heaven and a hell. And so, you know, I don't, do I need to be worried about anything? And then Brad Pitt, the, the angel character, he gives the answer, Son, that is exactly what the world believes about how to stand before God without fault. Brad Pitt, the angel figure, says to him, oh, no, not a man like you. And, and, and so what he's saying, Son, is that Anthony Hopkins lived you know, a, a, a life of, of honesty and integrity and was a good father. That's, oh, no, you know, not a man like you. Nothing against those qualities and those traits, but the teaching of the Bible is they do not wash away sin. They cannot wash away sin. Only the blood of Jesus washes away sin, and that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Dan, salvation, redemption, justification, you know, all big buzzwords in the Christian faith, and they're all very significant uh, for us, you know, especially if we want to be without fault. But when we start the conversation, we have to start out with salvation. And I'm sure most people have a basic Sunday school understanding, you know, at least about what salvation is. But what exactly is salvation? Well, if we start in the Old Testament, Son, and, and consider uh, the, the Hebrew word, uh, yasa, for salvation, it means uh, to save, uh, to help uh, in distress to rescue, to deliver, uh, to set free. And, and so commonly there in the Old Testament, the, the deliverance uh, that is being um, talked about uh, is primarily material in nature. And, and, and so God would deliver his people, uh, you know, from 
uh, well, obviously, you know, out of Egypt and from other armies, and and he would bless their their food and their their water and and their their physical lives, and and there would be an abundance. You know, this is where, you know, the the prosperity message today completely misses the boat um, because they apply the promises of the old covenant and assume that somehow that applies today in the same way when it doesn't. Uh, in the Old Testament, God had not yet given his son. Jesus had not yet come. A far greater gift than any amount of uh, financial prosperity in the Old Testament. And not only that, but if you combine that with what Jesus said about riches, and what the New Testament especially warns about, you know, everyone who wants to get rich, you know, uh, falls into temptation and a trap. So um, salvation then in the Old Testament is in part from, uh, from poverty. It is in part from uh, your, your physical enemies. It is delivering your, your uh, physical body. Not that there is no sense of the eternal in the Old Testament, but it is very muted. It is very, um, very small compared to when we come into the New Testament. Now, the Greek word for salvation, uh, soteria, now this usually signifies a deliverance that would have special spiritual uh, significance. So when we, when we talk about salvation today, we're, we're really not talking about, you know, going from poverty to wealth. Although, of course, you know, we want to we help to meet the, the, the physical needs of people. Um, we want to help people have, you know, uh, financial assistance and this sort of a thing. But salvation in the New Testament is um, using the, the same definition in terms of saving and helping in distress and rescuing. But now you're being delivered not so much. Uh, you know, from, say, the Midianites, now you're being delivered from Satan, and you have been delivered from these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So it all kind of goes, in a way, from the physical um, deliverance, the physical rescue in the Old Testament, which God intends to show as a picture of what he's going to do when he, uh, when he sends his Son. And so today, the soteria, the salvation, is really about eternal salvation in heaven. And this is why, Son... You know, there are many Christians who go through their entire lives uh, extremely poor. You know, uh, many of them, let's say, in a third world country or or even in a country with prosperity, but they just don't happen to have, uh, you know, much money at all themselves. And yet, on the inside, they are very, very wealthy. So uh, sometime you and I maybe could have a, you know, have a whole uh, show dedicated to just the prosperity gospel and why. It is so dangerous today. But anyway, that's for another time, I suppose. Yeah, that would be definitely something to uh, explore because it's so out there. I mean, you've got people that are so desperate to believe something, and so they latch on to something that might be false, and therefore they're getting a false sense of security on top of just, you know, uh, false yeah. false belief, false religion. Uh, the well, top. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, Son, and, and, and so as their flesh gets energized because by, by nature man's flesh loves this idea. Oh, you mean I can, like, be financially wealthy and serve the Lord? And, and before long, son, when you start to give your heart over to the love of money, here's what happens, and you hear some of these guys saying this. They truly believe that it is a sign of God's blessing that they've got these huge mans- mansions and these private jets and, and all of these things. In fact, you know, they wear that as, like, a, a badge of honor and something that they are hoping to encourage their followers uh, to, to reach. But, of course, you see what? Uh, some of their followers don't have 
tens of thousands of people sending them ten dollars, twenty dollars, thirty dollars. So they're not going to get their own uh, private jet. They're not going to get their own mansion, but they are going to get revved up. You know, it, it, it's almost like you're going to a I don't know, um, you know, one of these um, little conferences. I mean, you 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 pick whatever name it might be, and they're getting you all energized and all excited, and you're going to go out and you're going to take the world and you're going to do this. That's what's going on in the prosperity gospel churches, and it is extremely deadly. Well, it's like a pep rally Jesus. You know, you're getting out there and you're getting all raw, rod up, but is there really anything significant involved in that that's going to help you, help the soul, make you grow, uh, things like that? And I think I think it's important, too, Dan, to just mention that, you know, since you, since you brought it up, that, you know, God doesn't view these people any more righteous than you or I or, you know, the next person that might just have been saved this past Sunday in church. You know, That's right. uh, we're all the same. So just because there might be somebody out there more fluent, there might be somebody out there that seems to be more righteous and godly than us. God does not view. And again, we have to go back to what you mentioned earlier. It's how God sees mm-hmm. us. And so God sees us no different than he sees any other Christian out there or no different That's than right. any other you know, non-believer out there. It's how God sees us, not how the world sees these people being more righteous or not than us. Definitely. You know, the other thing we're talking uh, about, the, the main topic is standing before God without fault. And uh, in the article, you wrote, or you included, I guess, the lyrics to uh, Robert Lowry's classic hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Now, in the song, he asks the question, you know, what can wash away my sin? And of course, the answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then it goes on to ask, what can make me whole again? And the answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then it closes out by saying, oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it really just comes down to something as simple as that, doesn't it? It does, son. And I think it could help if a person were to begin by thinking about, um, let's say, cancer in the body, which is just um, you know, a terrible disease that so many people have experienced and, and suffered with and had to be treated for. Um, you know, just think today, son, if there was a pill that a person could take that would cure cancer 100% of the time, well, I mean, that would not only be a, a miracle pill, but it would be something that, you know, we would want everyone who has cancer to immediately um, take that pill and be cured. I mean, that's just obvious. That's what you would do. Um, now, the Bible teaches that sin, which you spoke of right out of the gate today, son, and, and, and how we all fall short, sin is a cancer of the soul. This takes um, believing God's Word in order to accept that fact, that, that there is a cancer on your soul. It does need to be healed. It, it does need to be uh, cleansed. It does need to be um, rescued, you know, as we think about that word salvation that we just talked about. And, and so the teaching of the Bible, just as you quoted in that hymn, the teaching of the Bible is that the blood of Jesus is that pill, if you will, and it cures sin in the sense that it washes it away so that God sees us as righteous. I think about Ephesians 1, 7, where it says, in Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Not in Him we have redemption through our efforts. Uh, not in Him we have redemption through our church attendance. Not in Him we have redemption because we're doing a little bit better today than we did yesterday. Um, not in Him we have redemption because of our good intention. But in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, not the healing of cancer, but, but this is the cancer of the soul, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So this is the prosperity message today of the Bible. 
Uh, the prosperity message today is not the old covenant. That was very, very weak compared to what we get today. Um, the material riches that Abraham and many in the Old Testament experienced, that was then. That was God's blessing for them then, but that was tiny compared to what the real riches are. And that's why it's so sad today to see anyone in the name of religion or in the name of Jesus somehow um, present this message that God wants you to be materially rich, as though somehow that is some message that the New Testament you know, instructs us to teach. No, this is what we're taught in accordance with the riches of God's grace, our soul is forgiven. Um, the, the pill, the blood of Jesus Christ, washes away our sin. So this is the, the heart of Christianity, son. This is why the Son of God came from heaven, to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to pay for your sins and mine, so that anyone um, can be cured. Because as we've already said today, son, everyone has the disease. Everyone has the cancer that is sin. Everyone is going to stand before God either in a white robe or, like Adam and Eve, bringing their own fig leaves to heaven, their own list of stuff they did, and God's going to look at that, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because all of our righteous acts, as it says in Isaiah, are like filthy rags to God. These things that man thinks are so important. It's kind of like the person who thinks his riches are so important. Or, or you know, the person who thinks that my religious deeds are so important. You should ask God what he thinks about it, and he's already told us in his word, what he says about these things. Yeah, I think it's important, Dan, to bring up the fact, too, that even though we are saved and we have a clean slate, uh, as the song says, you know, we're, we're white as snow, we are still not perfect. Uh, we still have fault, and we do and will do wrong things. It's just that in the eyes of God, we have been forgiven, and those wrongdoings, if we truly are repentant, are washed away. And so I think it's important to bring up the fact that, you know, even though we might be saved and washed and cleaned, and without fault in the eyes of God, we're still going to do bad things, and therefore we can't really beat ourselves up about it because that's just our human nature. Well, that's right, Son. Uh, We want to always remember that when we do sin, that that sin does not put a spot on our white robe. I mean, so every believer can say right now, you know, there's a white robe covering my soul. And the tendency, even for the believer, I suppose, is to think, well, I committed a sin, so I, you know, I got to get that robe uh, washed. I've got to somehow get that robe. Well, here's the thing. Um, the white robe never gets a stain on it because Christ never sinned, okay? Christ never sinned. He is your covering, my friend. He is your righteousness. So when you sin, here's what the Bible says. That's not really you. That's sin living in you that does it. So God's not going to hold it against you. Now you say, well, but I cooperated with that thing. Well, okay, confess that to God quickly then. Um, you know, I, I gave in to that thing. I chose. Yes, you probably did. Uh, you know, but confess it to God. But just because you may have chosen to do that doesn't mean that it put a spot on your robe, okay? And, and I, I think as we talk today about repentance, I think of 1 John 3, 6, it, it says something startling, Son. It says, no one who lives in him, that is in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, obviously, Son, this cannot mean that um, anyone who has seen Christ, anyone who lives in Christ, never again commits a sin. No, no. This is talking about the person who would be living in deliberate sin, who would be making that the aim of their life. Because for John to write, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him, 
it, it's obvious there, based on all of Scripture, that that if, if we don't understand what that verse means, then what we're going to say is, well, then nobody knows God, even those who claim to be Christian. No, this is talking about deliberate sin. This is talk about about living in deliberate sin, not repenting of your sin, and perhaps still claiming to know God or to know Christ. Well, without repentance, um, a person doesn't know Christ. But at the same time, we want to remember that when we do sin, and we try not to as Christians, but when we do, it does not put a spot on that white robe, because that is Christ's righteousness that God placed on us when we were converted. And, you know, it's not up to us to keep the robe clean. We didn't put the robe on, but God does call us to say no to sinful temptation, because that is what will please God and honor him in our life. Dan Delzell, our guest today, talking about standing before God without fault. And I know we've touched on this in the past with our conversations, but I wanted to bring it up again and ask you, you know, what do you say? And let me preface this first before I ask the question. You know, I, I for a number of years, this is how we met. I was uh, working, producing a Christian talk show here in Los Angeles. And um, we would take on occasion just phone calls about some general topics. And one of the topics, you know, in the Bible, it talks about Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, meaning that yeah. the only way to get to God is through Jesus. So there's only one way to heaven. So we'd throw out there, is there more than one way to get to heaven? And one would naturally think that Mm -hmm. the callers who claim to be Bible-believing Christians would say there's only one way. But it was kind of surprising, yet not shocking, that there'd be people that would respond, no, there's more than one way to get to heaven. So my question then, what would you say to people uh, that think that they can do it on their own, or maybe there is another way to heaven other than Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving us, uh, forgiving us from our sins? Well, you know, one, one thing I suppose a person's son could do is, is to, you know, look in the Old Testament, um, look at what happened when um, God brought the flood upon the world, and, and how God um, instructed Noah to build an ark for him and his family, and how that huge ark that then would contain the animals and Noah's family, how that huge ark had one door on it. Now, I think most people, whatever they believe about Christ or the way to heaven, most people could at least recognize that even if they don't believe that story, let's say, as a historical um, part of, of, of God's history, which it is, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a true story, a true event, even if they don't believe that, at a minimum, they could say, well, okay, the story says, there's only one door. And we could use that as kind of a jumping off point to say, yes, and the ark is a picture. Let's go back to salvation. Remember what we talked about with, you know, what does salvation mean? Uh, the Hebrew word yasa, you know, to save, to help in distress, to rescue, to deliver, to set free. Um, so Noah and his family, though, in order to be rescued from the flood, so what do they have to do? They have to go through the one door. This is a picture of what then will be given in the New Testament when the gospel is given to us, when Christ comes at our, as our Savior. And you quoted that familiar passage in John fourteen six, where Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, Jesus says in John, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So if you, if you bring that ark into the New Testament, you say, okay, now the ark, remember we talked in the Old Testament how it was primarily material deliverance, So Noah and his family were being saved from a flood. We come into the New Testament time now, and we need to be saved from a spiritual flood that is going to overwhelm everyone who is not aboard the ark. 
That's the teaching of the New Testament. And, and the ark today, son, is Jesus Christ. The ark today is, is, is this family of God that you enter when you accept Christ as your Savior. You come aboard. You are now in God's family. He's going to keep you safe. There'll be some uh, choppy waters out there on the high seas. Um, there'll be some, some setbacks at times. Uh, you won't always do uh, what you wish you had done. But once you are aboard the ark, um, you are with the Lord uh, today, tomorrow, and forever. And so this is, you know, the, the, the beautiful message that I would try to convey to a person maybe who's wondering, well, how can you say Jesus is the only way? And I might also throw in James 2.10, you know, it says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So I would, you know, try to, you know, show them that in the law, we see our sin. Uh, even if we think we're pretty good, uh, we still, according to James 2.10, are as guilty as anybody else. We need forgiveness. We need a Savior. And ultimately, a person will either choose to believe that Jesus is the only way, or they will choose to believe that there are many ways. But what they won't be able to choose is whether or not they're going to stand before their Creator one day. And the only ones who will be saved on that day are those who are aboard, uh, aboard the Ark of the Cross. Uh, the cross where Jesus died, and you come aboard as you repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus, You are your soul is converted, you are born again, saved, justified, redeemed, and forgiven on the front end, and now you are in God's family forever. You know, Dan, I read a sermon one time, I think it was uh, J. Vernon McGee, and it was about the cross being the first Christmas tree. And I believe this was, if I recall correctly, his Easter message, really, but it was about the cross being the first Christmas tree and how that first gift under the cross or that cross Christmas tree was the gift of salvation and how that we can receive that gift today and it's valid today, but we really don't open it per se, if you want to use the present analogy, mm-hmm. until the day we die. That's when we, you know, we, we, uh, we cash in, so to speak. And to me, I think that's pretty powerful to know that we have this gift waiting there for us and all yeah. we have to do is accept it and nothing yeah. else. Well, that makes me think, Son, of Revelation twenty two seventeen, one of the last passages in, in all of the Bible, uh, and it says, The Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I just love that passage, Son, and I especially love the fact that the Holy Spirit placed it right there, just about at the very um, end of the Bible, because it's a great reminder of what you raise in this particular point, Son, and that is that salvation is a free gift. Salvation is something that you receive by faith. It's, it's something that you cannot earn, no matter how hard you might try. And, and I suppose one of the greatest tragedies uh, of all time, Son, will, will be all, those people who uh, end up standing before the Lord on Judgment Day, and they worked so hard. They were so zealous in their religious duties. They were so diligent. I mean, they, they just were um, working overtime to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop because they were convinced that's what they had to do to earn their way. And they never humbled themselves like a child, received Jesus and his forgiveness as a free gift by faith, and, and they were never saved. And so the gospel message is about this free gift, son, and, and that's the message that we're trying to bring to people um, so that they will receive Jesus uh, and be forgiven and saved today, tomorrow, and forever. 
Dan Delzell, my guest, and he's talking about, or we're talking about, standing before God without fault. And, you know, Dan, we've talked about uh, this on other shows, about Jesus standing at the door and knocking on our heart and waiting for us to just open up. And today we're talking about being cleansed by the blood of Christ on the cross. It's the gift given to us. You know, we didn't do anything to earn it. But we do have to be careful that we don't go off the reservation and go out and live a, a sinful life. You know, we still have responsibility and ultimately, it should be our desire to live for God and be Christ-like in all we do. So there is caution that even though, I think the Bible talks yeah. about uh, what, something, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So even yeah. there is a, a slight warning. Hey, you have freedom, but don't go off the rails. Well, that's very well said, Son. And, you know, we, we see the Apostle Paul, for example, visiting the steam in, uh, in some of his letters. You know, I think about uh, Galatians uh, 6, verses 7 and 8. You know, he's... He's putting out a warning here um, to folks in the church, and he's saying, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, So what is the apostle saying here? Well, he's saying that it's possible for a person to be a church-going person but to be deceived into thinking that you can live however you want to live, you can sow your wild oats to your heart's desire, you can live however you want, meanwhile claiming, well, but, you know, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. And what Paul's saying here is, well, no, you're not. You're not in the family of God if that's the direction your life is aimed, if that's the attitude your heart is embracing, if that is the perspective that you have, then Paul says, from that nature, uh, you will reap destruction. That is from your sinful nature. Because why? You are sowing to please that nature rather than the Holy Spirit. I mean, when has the Holy Spirit ever led a person, son, to commit a single sin? No, he doesn't do that, does he? Because um, Paul would go on here then to say, the one who sows to please, to, uh, to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So a genuine believer is not only someone, son, who is relying upon the cross for salvation, who is relying upon the gift they've been given, but then as a result of that conversion, as a result of the Holy Spirit living in you, you now are sowing to please the Spirit. You are trying to live for Christ. You are trying to forgive those who, um, you know, who speak about you in negative ways. You are trying to love everyone. You are trying to say no to any form of, of prejudice or greed or, or lust or hatred or on and on, you know, all these sins, gossip, you name it, judgmental spirit. Um, all of these things are things that a born-against a Christian will be seeking to say no to. And, and the person who's just given their soul over to that song, the message of the New Testament is nothing but a warning, uh, and that warning is God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Now, that doesn't mean, son, that we earn salvation. All it means is that those who believe in Christ, those who are converted, will be living in that direction, albeit with imperfections. We've already touched on that. But the person who is aiming for sin doesn't matter what the confession of their mouth is. Their life is telling a different story. Their life is saying, I may say out of one side of my mouth that I love God, but what I'm telling you with my attitude is I love sin because that is the direction I want to go. And no born-again person, son, can, can, can honestly say, I want to go in the direction of sin. Uh, no uh, person who is lost 
can honestly say Jesus is Lord and, and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and that you're saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith. So, so these, are, these are things, like you say, uh, to warn a person from going off the reservation and assuming they're saved, if they're just going to live for sin and, and, and dive into that, nope, God has a message of warning, not comfort for, for that individual. Yeah, and see, uh, when you talk about that, I kind of start shaking a bit because, you know, sin, sin, sin's a dangerous thing, you know, and I'm not talking about just the afterlife, you know, the consequences yeah. of it. I'm talking about yeah. today. I mean, it can be fun. Uh, it can be yeah. enjoyable. You know, it's tempting. Yeah. It's easy to engage into, um, you know, and it, so when you think about it, it's kind of like one of those things that it's like you've got the ice cream sitting right there at the ice cream shop, but it's like you can't go in. You have to you have to deny yourself daily right. and take up right. that cross. Yes. Well, that that's exactly right. Um, saying saying no uh, to sin is 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 very important, Son, because. Um, that's part of the Christian life, isn't it? You know, I think about um, Titus uh, 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So what does that mean, Son? It means that the grace of God doesn't only uh, bring salvation into a person's life. You know, because that, it, it certainly does that, as, as Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you, you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But this passage in Titus is saying um, the grace of God that saved you is also the grace that teaches us to say no. And that's the denying part of ourself that you referred to there, Son, um, to say no to that inclination to want to hold that grudge, to say no to that urge to commit this sin or that sin. And let's face it, um, there are times in the life of every believer when, when rather than saying no, we give in, okay? And, and yet, um, the born-again person, the Christian, the one who is saved, will never be happy and content in Jesus when we are living in sin. We are only content when we are saying no to sin. You know, you, you said it well, son. You said it, it can be fun. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's the tricky part of, like, the sinful nature within us, because we still struggle at times with, you know, maybe we're physically tired, maybe we just went through a stressful period, or maybe just some temptation comes out of the blue. And, and without thinking maybe very much at all about it, and maybe we, you know, hadn't read our Bible much lately or prayed much lately, before you know it, we're off into the flesh. What I mean by that is, we're starting to gratify something of the uh, of the flesh that you know um, is is not one of the qualities or things that God wants. So this life of denial can only happen as we stay under the fountain of God's uh, living water, His wellspring. And this is why prayer and and uh, scripture meditation and hanging out with other Christians is so critical, Son. Because all of us as Christians, you know, we've experienced this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, and we don't get it right every time. But by God's grace, we don't give up, we don't just throw in the towel, we don't just say, oh, I'm going to just live for sin, because the minute a person does that, oh my goodness, that's, that's extremely dangerous, and not a good indication at all that that person uh, wants to be a Christian. You know, Dan Delzell, our guest, talking about standing before God without fault, and two words come to mind, mercy and grace. Now, mercy, let me see if I can get this right without mixing them up. Uh, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. And grace is when we get what we don't deserve. I think that's yeah. right. Um, but anyways, uh, and that, of course, is, you know, 
when we sin, we get eternal punishment or when we're saved, we get eternal, uh, salvation. Um, and so anyways, with Christ, you know, paying this price on the cross for us and this alternative that we have, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, our sins are forgiven and we take a look at grace and mercy. I don't think people really sit down and kind of contemplate just how, uh, impactful, how powerful, how merciful. I mean, I mean, this is just some, um, these are two amazing words that God has yeah. given to us through His Son. Well, they are, and you know, as you're as you're speaking, you know what I what I'm thinking about is how there are some religious groups in the world today that will latch on to um, biblical terms. In this case, grace, but they will import a, a meaning, a definition to it that is not consistent with the New Testament. It's not consistent with the Gospel. Um, there's one very popular religious group. That, that they have a, a saying that goes like this um, uh, for their followers, and they say, um, it is by grace we are saved. You know, that sounds so far so good, right out of Ephesians. But then they add, after all we can do. So in other words, it becomes a carrot on a stick. Um, it, 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 it tries to sound like it's biblical. It almost quotes Ephesians 2, but it imports a very deadly um, redefinition. Um, it is by grace we are saved after all we can do, is, is, is the way they um, uh, mis, uh, misrepresent the teaching of the Bible. Now, in, in Ephesians it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So, Sam, what I like to often say is, is that we get the goods on the front end of salvation. You know, um, sometimes you've got different religious groups in society that, you know, maybe they'll go out and knock on doors or whatever. Nothing against knocking on doors. But um, there are, you know, different groups out there today that will do that, and, uh, or you'll run across them on the street, um, and sometimes you might run across a, a Bible-believing Christian, another time you might run across somebody of one of these groups, but it, it, particularly when it's a different group that's not a Christian group, um, what I like to ask them uh, very um, gently and in Christian love and compassion for them is, you know, I, I like to say, well, what did you receive on the front end of your relationship with God? And it really just mystifies them. They don't seem to understand what I'm asking. Um, they don't really have an answer for that. Um, and and, and so what I'm not doing necessarily at all is, is trying to have them pinpoint a moment when they were saved, because most of those folks are not saved. You see, they've been taught it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. So you see, son, the goods for them won't be given until they've earned it. Oh, but they use that very grace-sounding verse, that, that saying that's almost like Ephesians. But they import a new definition. You don't get the goods on the front end in their teaching. You only get it on the back end if you prove yourself worthy. And, son, that is not the gospel. That is not Christianity. That is not consistent with the New Testament. It is deadly. And, and you know, like the prosperity gospel appeals to the flesh— um, the groups that, that preach this other gospel, which is no gospel at all, um, they are appealing to man's pride that believes he can earn his way to heaven. So it's a very, very subtle, dangerous deception that, that many have fallen for, and we have to gently try to help a person understand um, the true gospel. And so, again, I would just simply say, try asking um, one of those uh, sincere folks uh, next time you, you run across them or next time they come to your door, Hey, by the way, could you tell me what you received on the front end of your relationship with God and just expect a very puzzled look because they won't really know what in the heck you're talking about, and so you'll have to explain the gospel to them. 
Yeah, I'll try that next time because usually when somebody comes knocking on my door, I'm diving behind the couch pretending like nobody's <laughs> exactly, home. Exactly, son. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, though, you say that because on the front end, you know, in this instant gratification world, you would think that would be appealing to people that, hey, I get this right away and I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it later. I can get it right now. But yet people just seem to push that off. Well, they, they, they do, son. And, and so it requires, you know, the Holy Spirit working through the Word. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Um, you know, it's interesting because, son, once we're on the inside, like you and I and everyone who knows Christ, you know, we see it. You know, we, we see what they need. We see what they can get on the front end. But when you're still on the outside, um, you know, it, it, it's really going to take just um, um, the Word, the Gospel being proclaimed to you. I, I think I heard one time, Son, that maybe a person has to hear the Gospel, you know, seven times before on average. Maybe they, they accept Christ, you know. So, I mean, think about how many neighbors, friends, co-workers that you and I have I mean, how many times have they heard the gospel? You know, um, how many times has, uh, I mean, let's say, let's say their parents have never shared the gospel with them. Let's say their relatives have never shared the gospel with them. Let's say they don't go to church, you know. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, you and I are living with people all around us who maybe haven't even heard the gospel once, let alone seven times. Now, now granted, I mean, there are people who've heard the gospel a hundred times and don't believe it, but... Um, you know, wouldn't that be great if, if, if uh, seven times and a person uh, comes to faith in Christ? Well, our work's cut out for us so we can keep sharing the gospel uh, the way Paul did and, and, and every faithful um, you know, Christian missionary does today all over the world. Dan Delzell with us. Topic is standing before God without fault. And, and Dan, in the article, you write that no one who is born again, I think we've even talked about this a little bit earlier too, no one that is born again will continue to live a life of deliberate and premeditated sin. But yet uh, we've heard believers out there saying that they're living this lifestyle, maybe glorifying this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who claims to be saved, yet they are openly living in or engaging in a lifestyle of sin? Well, I would try to um, bring them to, for example, Hebrews ten twenty six. on. It says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, son, uh, raging fire um, should put the fear of the Lord, you would think, into someone. Uh, we, we had a tragedy in our community uh, last night. Uh, after 11 o'clock, there were some teenage girls uh, who were uh, driving up here on uh, Highway 370, um, a little after 11 there, uh, 15 and 16-year-old girls. And um, of the five, uh, only one survived. Uh, there was a fiery crash, and, and four of the girls tragically lost their life. I mean, son, we're talking, you know, a little more than 12 hours ago, these teenage girls entered into eternity. These teenage girls had a horrific, fiery end to their life. I mean, it doesn't get much sadder than that. Um, and, and so um, fire and crashes and death and automobile accidents are real, um, and they're tragic. So also, Son, is judgment and the raging fire that we're told in Hebrews will consume the enemies of God. So you don't want to mess with deliberate sin. You, you, you don't want to, you know, uh, pretend you're a Christian if your heart is set on deliberate sin, because 
it says if we deliberately keep on sinning, um, then no sacrifice for sins is left. And, and, and I certainly hope, Song, that these, these, these poor girls who lost their life last night, and I, I, hadn't even, I don't even know if they've released the names yet. I, I just think we've been given the ages, maybe, and the gender. Uh, but regardless, Son, I, I hope that um, they, they came from families where you know, their parents uh, knew Jesus and shared Jesus with them, um, or maybe a schoolmate or, or something, because, Son, it just shows how quickly uh, our life can end, and, and, and there's no time for anyone to be living in deliberate sin, and certainly not uh, anyone who is claiming uh, to know Christ. You know, Dan, that reminds me, um, such a, a sad and tragic, uh, you know, having those accidents. I know it happens more often than we wished it would, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I teach uh, radio broadcasting here on the West Coast, and I always ask my students, you know, if, if the audition of a lifetime came your way, whatever your dream job is, mm-hmm. if they came to you and said, we want you to audition for it, would you be ready? Would you have the skill set? Would you have the practice in? You know, would you be willing to get behind the microphone, in front of the camera, whatever it is that your dream job is, would you be ready to audition for it and take that uh, task? And I guess, you know, when you were talking about the, the crash on those young ladies, the thing that came to mind is, you know, our biggest audition, and it's really not an audition, but if we are going to stand before God today, are we going to be ready? If we're yeah. ready to go right now, and God called us yeah. home and said, or if he came back, second coming, what yeah. will we will we be ready? And I think that's something that we need to self-examine and be like, you know, I know this is our life. This is what we're doing. We've got plans. We've got goals. But if I was called home today and I was standing before God today, would I be ready? And that's something that we have to ask ourselves each and every day. Well, we, we really do need to do that, Son. And, and it reminds me of a, uh, a passage that uh, Paul wrote actually in Second Corinthians, and in uh, chapter thirteen, verse five, uh, he writes to um, the Christians there in Corinth. He says, "Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test." And, and I think a very simple way, son, that anyone could test himself or herself, including anybody who's listening to this message right now would be to ask yourself at least a couple questions. Um, the first question, to test yourself, uh, to see whether you are in the faith, is to, is to say to yourself, um, am, I, am I relying upon my efforts, my works, my religion, in order to be approved by God, accepted, and, and one day enter heaven? Or, instead of that approach, am I relying upon the cross where Jesus died and the blood that he shed and the price that he paid, and the sacrifice that was given there at Calvary, am I relying upon his work on the cross rather than my works? Am I relying upon his blood to cleanse me rather than my effort? So that would be the first way to test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And then a second question, though, uh, that would be very important to ask, and that is this. Um, Am I seeking to live for the Lord? Am I seeking to uh, say no to sin rather than living a life of deliberate sin, rather than living a life of saying, well, you know, uh, I want to claim God on one hand, but just feed the sinful nature on the other hand, that won't work. And so if the answers to uh, both of those questions um, can be in line with the New Testament, Son, whereby a person's faith is in the cross, in the blood, in the sacrifice of Jesus, and then where that person is also seeking to honestly live for Christ, 
Um, this then would be a person who has passed the test. This would be a person who could know I am saved. Um, I'm not perfect. Um, you notice that wasn't the question, Son. The question wasn't, you know, um, do you do you not sin much at all? I, I mean, you know, I mean, that gets, I mean, how do you determine that? I mean, that's not really the question. The, the, the question is more, what do you want to live for? Who do you want to live for? Um, and, and so um, the idea in Scripture is that as we grow in Christ, yes, sin will become less. Um, the closer we get to Christ, there's no question about that. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not just focus so much on, on maybe our own, uh, the outcome of our life. You know, Jesus will, will, will produce the fruit. We just need to keep our eyes on the cross and on his grace. And, of course, in the Word. We've been talking about, you know, forgiveness and God forgiving us. But one of the things I want to get your thoughts on was that, you know, people will do us wrong all the time. And yet, you know, depending on who wrongs us, we may forgive them or we may be upset and hold a grudge, especially if we don't like the other person. Uh, maybe we even want to plot revenge. We see it in the news all the time. But yeah. if God forgives us, how important is it for us to forgive those who wrong us? Well, it, you know, the, the Lord makes it, it clear, Son, that that, that is not a, an option. That is to say, um, withholding forgiveness is, is not an option for the believer. Um, you know, many people are, are familiar with um, Jesus' words there in, uh, in Matthew 6, where he is uh, addressing this, and he says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, at first blush, son, it almost sounds in a way like you either earn forgiveness by forgiving others, um, or not. Uh, if you don't forgive others, then you haven't earned forgiveness. But that's not really what Jesus is saying at all. If we interpret this in light of all of Scripture, what we come to see here is, is Jesus is really talking about what flows out of the soul of a forgiven uh, saint, of a, of a born-again person. You know, if a person is saved, born-again, justified, redeemed, and forgiven, then he or she will be forgiving others. Oh, there might be a little blip on the radar. There might be, you know, a little uh, short period where, you know, maybe you're kind of holding a grudge or, you know, whatever. But, but my goodness, son, um, that can't go on very long in the life of a, of a born-again person, uh, because something will have to give. You will either have to choose to deliberately um, hold that grudge, which will be get more and more deep-seated, um, that, you know, hatred and bitterness and, and, and hostility, all of these things that come from a grudge that, that you don't repent of, uh, begin to form, and that is not the fruit of, of, of Christianity. Um, it, it might be um, some bad fruit in the life of any one of us for um, hopefully a very limited amount of time, but, but something will have to give there, because uh, Jesus made it, made it very clear here that um, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Why? Because obviously you're not a Christian. If you're not forgiving other people their sins, obviously, I mean, so how could you claim to be a Christian if you're not going to forgive others? Uh, you know, the, the Bible makes it clear. No one can say, I love God, yet hate his brother. I mean, so, so that's really what he's saying. You don't earn forgiveness by forgiving others, but you will forgive others if you are forgiven. Dan Delzell with us, topic standing before God without fault. And, and Dan, a lot that we've gone over today. And so I want to bring it back to this one point. If someone wants to be faultless in the eyes of God today, how can they go about doing that? 
Well, what I would say, Son, is um, they would really need to declare spiritual bankruptcy. Um, They would need to go before the judge today, the judge being God. They would have to recognize before the judge that the debt that they owe is is way too great. Um, They can't even keep up with the interest on the sin debt that they owe let alone the principal. It is way higher than they could ever begin to pay. And and so they have to go before the judge and declare spiritual bankruptcy, say, Father, I'm a sinner. I cannot pay this. It's way more than I could ever pay. And and, and yet I believe that there is a way to have my, my slate clean. Uh, there is a way that in declaring bankruptcy, um, here of my soul, I can have it all taken away, and that's through the blood of Jesus. And, and so you have to be able to recognize, Son, um, just what your sin debt means, um, what it means in God's courtroom, what it means for your eternity, unless it's wiped off the slate today, uh, unless it is washed away in the blood of Jesus. So anybody who wants to be faultless before God today, tomorrow, and forever— will need to do this song. Today is the day of Yasa, of Soteria, of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. They will need to come to God today and declare bankruptcy. They will need to recognize that their sin debt is so great, it took the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross, and only His blood can cleanse them and then you receive Jesus as your Savior, as you receive God's forgiveness for your sins, and now God will begin to see you as faultless. You say, even when I commit a sin? Yes, of course. You're always going to be faultless in God's eyes. doesn't mean he doesn't, you know, ever see those things that go on or, or, or that sort of thing, but it means as far as you're standing before him, um, it, it means that white robe does not get a spot on it. And, and, and so um, that's the key to being without fault before God, faith in Jesus Christ, and being covered uh, by the blood of the Lamb. Dan Delzell, Standing Before God Without Fault, the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Anything else you'd like to share as we wrap it up here? Well, I would just say, Son, based on all we've talked about today, you know, I just think that if we will focus more on the cross and on God's Word, feeding on the Word of God, Rather than getting too caught up on our past mistakes or past sins or past imperfections, and I mean, when I say past, I mean, maybe that past is earlier today or yesterday or last week. We've got to be able to move on, Son, from those setbacks. We've got to be able to move on from those imperfections. Um, We've got to be able to move on from any times when maybe we haven't lived up to the high calling that God has called us to, because He's not dwelling on that. He's dwelling on our future. He's dwelling on the salvation that He's already given us. He's not dwelling on those times where maybe we, uh, we, we started to go off the reservation. And that's some good news for us as Christians, because it encourages us, Son, that God's not, you know, um, looking for a way to condemn us. God's not just standing over us, just watching for us to get out of line. You know, Jesus loves us. He's with us. He's an encourager. You know, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is an encourager. And, and just think about, Son, if Jesus could meet um, you know, the woman caught in adultery and, 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 you know, tax collectors and prostitutes and, and, and be so willing to just meet them where they were at, never promoting or condoning sin, 
but always offering people a new beginning, a new start. I mean, my goodness, son, the gospel isn't just for lost people, it's for Christians too. And we need that message every single day. Yes, indeed we do. Dan Delzell, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate all you have to to share with us and your thoughts on these matters and for writing these uh, articles and bringing to the forefront uh, some of these issues that we talk about. We thank you for that, and we look forward to uh, next time when we get together and do this again. Well, thank you so much, Don. This is a great discussion, and I will look forward to that talk one of these days on the prosperity gospel. I'm sure we'll have plenty to say on that one as well. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in and listening. We appreciate it. We appreciate your listening.